the time to help President Zelensky was when he was begging for it months ago. And so now I guess it's a matter that we do as much as we can without trying to get involved, even though we are. Finn Depensier is a freelance journalist whose uh, work can be found in Palladium magazine. We have been chatting with him since he started in this. Finn, good to have you with us. Thanks, Alex. Just so our listeners are up to speed, you and I started talking when you were in Kharkiv, which was heavily, heavily bombed right from day one. And then you made your way out of the country. And so now you're in Armenia where you're now That's seeing right. a different side of the story that we don't really talk about, this mass exodus of Russian refugees fleeing political persecution there. Um, let me get yeah. your thoughts. Let me start with the Zelensky speech, because I know you watched it, and I know you have particular thoughts on this, and then I'm going to circle back to the other side of the story we don't talk about. But President Zelensky spoke to the Canadian people. It was a very personal speech where he kind of talked about Canadian cities being bombed. He kind of really touched so you could get a feeling of what he's saying. Um and he made the request for the no-fly zone, which he can't get, uh, ultimately. What did you make of his speech? Yeah, so he tried to um, he tried to pull on Canadians' emotions, I think. He tried to bring it back home. Like, you know, imagine if the CN Tower was being bombed or if you were receiving casualty reports from the streets of Edmonton or Vancouver. Um, and I think that probably is uh, an effective tactic to um, make us consider the gravity of the situation a little bit uh, more as Canadians. Um, he did request the no-fly zone, which, of course, like you said, he can't receive that. Um, it would put us in direct conflict with Russia. Like you said, I think it's a negotiating tactic. I think that he's coming out with the strongest possible request and hoping that he'll get the you know second or third best thing. Um, also, like you said, the time to help Zelensky and NATO, uh, Zelensky and Ukraine was months before this conflict began. And I think that a lot of people who um, are advocating for a no-fly zone are kind of bes besides Zelensky, because again, I think he's doing this as a negotiating tactic. I don't think he expects in the least to, um, to get a no-fly zone, but I think that other people advocating for this are kind of doing it as a coping mechanism um, because they they ultimately deep down understand um, the how impossibly dangerous it would be to shoot down a Russian jet. Um, but I guess they also understand that um, anything um, anything that we can really do now to bolster Ukrainian defenses is wholly inadequate now that the invasion has began. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I think that um, I think that it was I think that it was a good speech by Zelensky and it was a moment of bipartisanship in the house, which we rarely see, of course. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that much is going to change out of that. It's interesting because he is a real master of the message, which I'm sure drives Vladimir Putin up the wall. Um, and, and, you know, I'll be talking to Bill Bla uh, Browder later in the show, and he, he seems to think, you know, we're already in this. So there's no way ultimately we can stay out of it. But if no fly zone, fly zone, we're in this, um, you know, as far as he sees. Well, I mean, it's that, that that's true and it's not. We're in this in the sense that without NATO support, without, um, you know, NATO countries um, consistently uh, sending ammunition and, and supplies across the border, uh, the Ukrainian military would, would, would fold immediately. And, and of mm -hmm. course, we have been um, training the Ukrainian military for, for, I mean, at least the last decade. I actually don't know about the history of um, Ukrainian uh, NATO participation uh, in Ukraine really uh, before 2014, generally speaking. But um, so we are we're in this in the sense that um, the the Russian government 
Um, it, it isn't just a propaganda message. They really do believe that uh, we are fighting the West. We're not fighting um, against the Ukrainians. We're fighting against the Western vassal state. Um, but we still, uh, it, it, we still aren't um, tangibly inserted into the conflict in terms of putting our own boots on the ground, shooting down a Russian jet. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just not on the table, guys. Like, I think yeah. people really need to snap back into reality. Well, yeah, time will tell on this, nonetheless. I mean, there are big consequences to this. Um, it's interesting because during his speech, it came across the wire that Zelensky had actually spoken with a Ukrainian media outlet that you're probably familiar with, Truka, and admitted for the first time that his country is not going to become a member of NATO, um, which is a demand by Russia uh, before it invaded. Do you see this as, a, as an off-ramp, potentially, where Zelensky saying, fine, save face, we know we're not becoming a member of NATO, let's end this? Um, I mean, I think it's I think it is a sign that the Ukrainian government is willing to um, concede to some of Russia's demands. And that's one of the big ones. Uh, I mean, Russia's uh, I mean, I, I guess the, 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 the demands from the Russian government are a, a promise to never, that Ukraine will never join NATO, be a recognition of Crimea as part of the Russian Federation mm -hmm. and C a recognition of the independence of the Luhansk and Donetsk republics. Um, and, uh, and, and of course they also want, uh, the Ukrainian government to, um, to resign, uh, the denazification of Ukraine, as Putin says, this, this, this Jewish yeah. president, um, uh, anyway, I think that, um, I, yes, I think it's a sign that, um, the, the Ukrainians will start to concede to some of these demands soon. Um, we aren't getting out of this war without some sort of compromise from both sides. The Russian military clearly doesn't have um, the, the, the requisite um, firepower and resources to occupy all of Ukraine. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but the, uh, and the Ukrainian government, of course, wants to um, retain as much of their country as possible. So I think it's a sign negotiations are coming for a real ceasefire. Well, let, let, let us hope so. Meanwhile, you're in this part of the story that doesn't really get spoken about. It, it's where you've got all these Russians trying to flee the country before the Iron Curtain really cinches in and, you know, yeah. isolates people. What's the story with what you're seeing? I mean, there are a lot of people that are fleeing political persecution. I mean, we had that Russian journalist, as you saw, uh, Marina Ovsin, Anoka, I can't say her last name. Yeah, Ovsin. yeah. I'll just say Marina because I'm going to butcher it. But, you it's know, okay. she went up on live TV and held up this sign saying this isn't true. I mean, she took a, a real risk. She's in custody now. But there are a lot of people trying to get out of that country. Of course, um, these sanctions are having a profound effect uh, immediately. And yeah. that is um, that is catalyzing massive opposition to the Russian government immediately. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, people are fleeing Russia for fear of political persecution, for um, fear that their lives are being turned upside down by the economic turmoil. Um, so, I mean, I spoke to one man here, he's, he's 21 years old, he's a, he's a film student, a Russian, and he fled to Armenia because he wants to avoid uh, conscription into the armed forces. Right. right. Um, that's, that's a fear amongst many young Russian men that they'll be dragged into this conflict if Putin thinks that the force he's mustered now isn't sufficient. Um, and then there's lots of companies fleeing of two course. So NVIDIA, massive American tech, corp tech corporation, uh, has moved their Russian headquarters here to Armenia. Um, uh, Ar Armenia has um, turned out to be one of the um, 
one of the choice destinations for economic refugees, if you will, and I guess, yeah. you know, political refugees, um, because the Russians can stay here for 180 days. People speak Russian in Armenia, um, but there's also lots of people fleeing to Turkey, Georgia, Azerbaijan. Can I just um, jump in, Finn? Because I'm going to run out of time, but I do want to yeah, ask, sure. do, do they feel hated by the world? Do they feel um, like they are just the enemy of the world? Yeah, certainly. And, and I think it's really important that we distinguish between the Russian government and Russian citizens who, um, who who've had nothing to do with this. And we've seen some very discriminatory actions taken by, you know, private um, pr private entities to discriminate against Russians. Um, I mean, for example, there was a university in Italy that announced they would be no longer um, teaching uh, the courses of uh, Fedor Dostoevsky, which is profoundly ironic because he was imprisoned in a Russian gulag. Um, so yeah. any any actions to um, punish Russian citizens that you know weren't directly uh, associated with the Russian government of this war is is discriminatory and unacceptable. And it will sadly go on because there are a lot of people that just don't think big picture and uh, of what they're doing. Well, look, um, love talking to you. We'll check in with you again on this. But uh, thanks for your thoughts. Yeah, my pleasure, Alex. Have a good one. That's uh, Finn Deponsier, who is right now in Armenia telling uh, that side of the story of uh, Russian people trying to escape. But uh, I've been talking with him since he landed in Ukraine on the first days of this battle.